Thank you for coming out. Welcome. My name is Dubs Weinblatt. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I'm so excited to be here. In 2015, I founded the Queer Improv Show, Thank You for Coming Out, or TIFCO as we call it, and it is now one of the longest-running queer improv shows in New York City. During the improv show, our storytellers share their coming out stories, and then our improvisers bring them to life. Our podcast is a little different. We still have our storytellers share their stories, but instead of folks improvising, we talk about them. And I'm so thrilled about our guest Guest and guests, I have here with me today, psychotherapist Rachel Wright, M-A-L-M-F-T, she, her pronouns, is recognized as one of the freshest voices on modern relationships, mental health, and sex. She's an experienced speaker, group facilitator, educator, therapist, podcast host, coach, and on-camera mental health and relationship expert. Rachel has been featured widely in the media, including on Cheddar TV as a regular contributor to Shape, Insider, and hundreds of other outlets. Her new podcast, The Right Conversations, is climbing the charts and charts and getting rave reviews from listeners. Rachel, my friend, welcome. Thank you. Oh, Doves, it's crazy to hear you say all that. I'm like, do I sleep or have an identity outside of work? Yes, I do, but it does not sound like that from that introduction. I know. And I cut out like six paragraphs. Oh, <laughs> I wild. I know. So crazy. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. I know that this is a long time coming. We've been trying to schedule and reschedule and blah and life. So yay, we're here. Yay, we're here. And it's just, I was thinking about that this morning of how we've been, we literally have been trying for months and life keeps happening to everyone involved. Yep. And it's just, I feel like it's such a good reminder of like showing people flexibility and compassion and grace. And it's like, no one's doing any of this on purpose. Yes. And we're just, we're just doing the best we can. Yeah. We can often take things so personally. It's like, oh, I had this coffee date with this person and they bailed out two hours before. And it's like, you know, for all, you know, like they had a panic attack two hours before and like, let's give some compassion and benefit of the doubt. And yeah. Yeah. It's a, I had, um, was like talking to this person and she like, wasn't responding. And I like went into a spiral. I was just like, yeah, she hates me. What did I say? Like, what, you know, I went the whole spectrum of things. You're like rereading all your texts. Like what was offensive? What did I do? Yeah, exactly. And I was like, was I too much? What is I not enough? Like, what was it? And then she responded, you know, so I followed up with this like really long, like if I, you know, I found the like maybe culprit and I like mm. went into this elaborate like mm. explanation of what it was. And she's like, no, my friend's in the hospital. It's like, I haven't been on my phone. And I was like, oh, it's not about me at all. Yeah. <laughs> we tend to make things about ourselves and like that doesn't make us bad or like egocentric. We just are built that way. You know, it's like someone's in and I do the same thing. I have three partners and like one person's in a bad mood. And I'm like, what did I do? And it's, it is such an important practice to sit back and be like, okay, I literally have a post-it note on my desk that I can stare at right now that says, we don't have a problem unless you tell me we have a problem. Mm. And I have to read it every damn day. This is my version of getting it tattooed on my eyelids because (laughs) I will assume even subconsciously that if there is an issue, a bad mood, a a cold, t- an okay, instead of a, oh, yeah, God. totally, yeah. right? Like every little thing, I'm like, oh, they're mad at me. I did something, you know, or they're exhausted because I was doing this or had this thing happening and that's my fault. So I should, and like, oh my goodness gracious. Like we got to give ourselves a break and allow people to actually tell us if they're frustrated or upset with us. Like Mm -hmm. that's their responsibility, not ours. We don't have to go digging for that information. Yeah. Oof. What a, oh, that, that went straight into here. My heart. That's such an important reminder. Yeah. There was definitely a point in my life where I was too scared to confront and be direct with anybody. And so Mm -hmm. I was always harboring and like, being passive aggressive. And then um, I did a lot of work to move away from being like that. And so now I have this like, uh, 
you know, um, I assume everyone is like that, but everyone's yeah. harboring something or they're not going to be direct with me. And I really need to not do that. Yeah. Uh, I feel like we could talk about this for ages, but I know it's <laughs> <laughs> it really is, but we are here for a reason and yes. we'll be joined by your partners later, which I'm so thrilled about. But yeah. first I want to invite you, you know, we all have multiple coming out stories, multiple coming into ourselves stories with all different kinds of parts of our identity. So I invite yeah. you to share one of those moments with us, whatever that means to you. Oh man. I, so I kind of view my coming out as a, I mean, it has many, many, many parts, but like as many folks can probably relate to. Um, But I kind of categorize it in two different columns, which is my sexual orientation and then also coming out as non-monogamous and polyamorous. Because for me, I experience polyamory, non-monogamy as an orientation. And it's it's not something that I am choosing. Like, of course, I choose my partners every day, right? Um, but I am non-monogamous, just like I am queer. Uh, so there were kind of like two different paths with this. Um, for coming out as not heterosexual, um, I had many different phases. I, I had my first sexual interaction with someone of the same gender when I was actually like 15 and a half. I was quite young. Um, I had sexual encounters earlier in life, got my period early in life, like just kind of started the whole thing earlier than on average. And I still didn't think that that meant anything. I had this whole like, you know, women have a lesbian phase narrative in my head from media and TV um, and kind of went back and forth, had experiences with many different people. Um, and then I came out as a lesbian and my parents were like, and my whole family were kind of like, okay, cool. And it wasn't that they weren't not supportive. They just knew that I wasn't a lesbian, which is true. I'm not. <laughs> um, and so they did their best to be like, we support you. Also, you'll figure out that that's not what's going on here. Um, but I didn't know anything about, you know, bisexuality, pansexuality, queerness, though, like those terms were not, we grew up with a lot of gay friends, but they were gay, right? It was like either gay or straight. It was this binary. And so I was like, well, I must be gay. And then it was like, oh, I must be straight. And it, it like going back and forth. So it was finally around in my like early middle-ish 20s that I that I came out as at the time bi. Um, and that kind of evolved into, into pan. And then that's evolved into queer over time. Um, and then I came out as polyamorous in 2018. 2019, somewhere around there. Um, and that was a, a different journey. Um, and a lot of people with that one, you know, it was like, why are you telling us about your sex life? Mm. And I was like, mm, not, I'm telling you about me <laughs> and who I am. Um, so yeah, two, two very different experiences, but both, both kind of felt like this, you know, you're assumed the quote unquote norm, which is, cis hetero monogamous and i had to come out and identify myself as not heterosexual and not monogamous it's a lot of conversations uh, yeah. Like, yeah that we have to hold as queer people as folks who who have identities outside of the what you said quote unquote norm yeah uh and hold space and answer questions and it's it's a lot to just exist <laughs> to even it to bring, really is yeah um so i thank you thank you for sharing i the first thing that really resonates with me is this idea of you thinking like oh i must be gay oh i must be straight in this like binary thinking and um i had the same thoughts around gender because i didn't know mm. that non-binary gender queer identities existed and so yeah. i was like well i'm not a woman but i'm not a man and i don't know and then it just felt very just like what the heck what the heck am i who am i yeah yeah and it's like language is so powerful yes and all it good and for good and evil, <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. being able to find our place is really yeah. important. Yeah. Yeah. And even coming up with your own words, you know, it's like you could say blibbity blop. And like, if that means to you, 
how you experience yourself in the world, then like, by all means, use blibbity blop and like share with people who you love and care about what that word means to you. Mm. It doesn't have to be someone telling you what words you have to choose from. And these are the boxes that you have to fit in. Like, and that's what I love about the word queer for me personally, is that it's not only a reclamation of an old slur, Mm. which feels very powerful, similar to slut, right? Like Mm -hmm. if I were to say I'm a queer slut, that would have been a very derogatory thing to say at at some point in time. And and in some places that still is a very derogatory thing to say. Um, But for me, that's, that's a reclamation of that word. And, and it, it doesn't, it has less of a box feel to me. It's Mm -hmm. like queer still doesn't, it leaves questions to be asked. And I, I like that. I like that. Yeah. It's like, it's encompassing it's just all encompassing. It's not, it doesn't, it's not calling in one or two identities. It's calling in all of the ways in which a queer person could experience the world. Exactly. Which is beautiful. So what I'm curious about is when you told your family that you're a lesbian, like, what <laughs> was it? What, what I'm like curious, like what was happening where they're like, no, you're not like, like how would they know that? You know what I mean? S- yeah, I was very outwardly boy crazy, as they would call it. Um, and and not like I'm trying so hard to pretend to be boy crazy. Like I really loved boys <laughs> a lot. And and like from a very young age. Um, and so they they it just kind of didn't it didn't align for them. Um, they saw me have, you know, at this point I had had romantic relationships with men and not to say that you can't have that and then you know come out as as gay or lesbian um but the the relationships that i had they didn't end because of my sexual orientation um and so they they just didn't see me as someone who exclusively or almost exclusively liked folks of the same gender Mm-hmm. it's so wild how like our families can see us like in a different way than we see ourselves there's just like you know those out the outside perspective yeah it's always and really interesting i feel really lucky because it's not that they sat back and said like no you're not go figure yourself out you know they were like cool if if that is how you are experiencing things right now, that is great for you. And like I could tell that the subtext was like, you'll figure this out, little girl. <laughs> like, <laughs> it, but it was in the kindest, most like, and and we'll accept you wholeheartedly as you go through this process of of figuring it out. And um yeah, I, I feel very grateful to have a family that has been wildly supportive and accepting of me and all my phases and all my everything <laughs> yeah it's nice to have that support I, yeah i wish that for all people to have that True, truly yeah so i had i had opened up questions on the internet the social medias mm-hmm. um and one that came in a few times was uh like what's the difference between non-monogamous non-monogamous and polyamorous mm, great um, question and then I had someone else ask, then how do how does one begin to understand that maybe they are non-monogamous or polyamorous? This is a great question. Two, two great questions. Um, so non-monogamy is the umbrella term that encompasses polyamory. So polyamory is one form of non-monogamy. Um, the term polyamorous literally means many loves. And for a lot of folks, non-monogamy does not include many loves. It includes having sex with strangers when they're on vacation or um, having multiple romantic relationships that don't involve sex, Um, but perhaps are not love, you know, love-based relationships. Um, For some people, it's swinging, right? Like there are so many different forms of non-monogamy and polyamory happens to be one of those forms. Um, and then in terms of figuring out, like, is this me? Is this it, folks tend to, at least in my clinical experience and frankly, personal experience, folks tend to fall in one of two camps. They either experience it as an orientation where they're like, oh, that's why I haven't been t- 
totally satisfied in a monogamous relationship, or that's why I have cheated on almost all of my partners when I still loved my partner and I was happy in that relationship, yet I was still desiring and and wanting and doing these quote unquote extracurricular things, right? And then there are some people who it is literally a choice. They're like, that sounds cool. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Great. Yeah. Like I would love to have uh, one nesting primary partner at home and be able to have intimate relationships, whether that be emotional, romantic, sexual, whatever, with other folks. Um, so I guess I I would I would answer that question by asking that person or those people to reflect and ask themselves their level of satisfaction and their desires while in a monogamous relationship. We have been indoctrinated into a mononormative society, meaning that everything assumes you're monogamous. All the media says monogamy, monogamy, monogamy. We do not have examples of non-monogamous relationships. So the idea that that is a possibility, I didn't know until I was in grad school. I was getting a master's degree when I learned what non-monogamy was. Mm. Like, that's insane. And so when we don't know that that's an option, it's like, if you never knew that shrimp existed and it was never on any menu, how would you even know to order shrimp or to try shrimp, right? Like, you just, it's not there. And so I would like, I would read about it. I would learn about it. I would you know, read some articles, read a book, watch a workshop, like just ask yourself because monogamy is not bad. Monogamy can be great. What is bad is not knowing that there is another option and just being monogamous because you think it's the only thing on the menu. Monogamy feels really great when you choose it. And so just ask yourself, like, do I want this? And allow yourself to kind of go down that road mentally. It doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't mean you don't love your partner. It it, it doesn't mean any of that. All it means is that you're learning about something new. I mean, the concept isn't new. The concept predates. It's like indigenous folks were practicing non-monogamy and white colonizers came in and were like Christianity and monogamy. And then it got erased and that's a whole other topic, but like it existed long before monogamy. So learn about it. Learn about it. I uh, that was very helpful. Thank you. And so, yeah. so for you, so you you didn't know it existed, and then you learned about it in grad school. Mm-hmm. So, what was your? Did you have like a kind of like an aha moment for yourself? You're like, ah, like this is all falling into place now. So yes and no. It took it took a little while. I like. I understood it academically. And then I also had been writing in my diary since I was like 14 about how I didn't understand why I had to break up with one person in order to kiss another person. Like I was writing as a non-monogamous person without having the language Mm. to say it. And it took until a little after I learned about it academically to actually like put those two things together. And it was actually, so Kyle and I, my, my soon to be ex-husband that I am still partnered with, which we can talk about later. Um, when Kyle and I first started dating on our very first date, we talked about monogamy and non-monogamy and we both said, you know, let's do this monogamy thing for, for a bit. And then like, let's keep checking back in with each other. And maybe we'll at some point switch it up. We both don't see ourselves being monogamous for till the end of time. Um, And so we check in with each other. We check in with each other. We check in with each other. And I, I I actually haven't told this story publicly. So I wonder if, if this person listens to this, they're going to be like, Oh my God. Um, We went and saw Kyle's cousin was in the prom on Broadway. And Anybody listening doesn't know what the prom is. It's about a young lesbian who wants to take a girl to the prom and the school goes apeshit and tries to cancel the prom. And it's a whole thing. And there's a song in the show called Unruly Heart. And 
we're sitting in the audience and I'm listening to the lyrics of this song. I'm going to get choked up right now. Um, And I remember sitting there thinking to myself, oh my God, I'm, I'm non-monogamous and I, I want to start living in the world as, as my full self. And Kyle and I went home that night and had a conversation and like about a week or two later started practicing non-monogamy. Um, and I, I, that's when I re-pulled back, I pulled back out my old journals, my diaries and started reading these passages. And I was like, holy moly, I've been denying this part of me for so long. And I have not ever looked back. Um, but that, yeah, that moment was so big that so that show means a lot to me um because of of that wow that's really powerful it's just it's so um the first time I saw the prom I cried through the entire show it was it's so powerful and just oh I just I'm just I'm like transported back right now I remember exactly where I was sitting in the theater and just like all of those, the waves of just wanting to be, wanting to be able to live as our full selves and like, not only just like get to do it, but like be celebrated for it and Mm -hmm. feel like we belong in spaces. It's, it's, um, ah, dreams, but I'm so glad that, that you were able to like have that moment of realization, not only have the moment of realization, but then check in with your partner and be able to then live authentically, like do it. Right. Yeah. 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 I wonder, I wonder like in your experience, like how many people are able to uh, like shift into non-monogamy and how many people end up ending their relationships because of that? It's tough. I mean, I I don't have any actual statistics for you, but I Mm -hmm. can say that in, in my limited experience. I mean, I see lots of couples, but in comparison to the world, it's quite yeah. limited. Um, it's, I would say it's about 50, 50, you know, the indoctrination of monogamy is so intense and the idea of having to work through insecurity and jealousy and, look at ourselves and say, oh, wow, this is mine to deal with. I can't rely on my partner's behavior changing for me to feel better, right? Which is actually really healthy. Like it it, it helps make us autonomous people and less enmeshed and less codependent. Um, and it's really hard because stepping into non-monogamy, even when you want to, brings up so much stuff that you just simply get to push under the rug when you're monogamous. And that's not to say that other issues don't come up from monogamy. Um, but there are things that are like pretty smack you in the face um, when you when you start that transition. Mm-hmm. And I think for some couples, it brings up it brings up things that were already there. They just didn't know they were there. And so that's where this like, myth kind of comes around like, oh, non-monogamy is the last step before breaking up. Like it's a last ditch effort Hmm. to before a breakup. And that's not true. What is true is that it brings up so many things to the surface. And if you don't have the tools, the foundation, the will, the, the desire to work through those things, both individually and together, yeah, you're probably going to end the relationship, but that's going to keep happening unless you actually start to address those things, especially within yourself. Yeah. It's a, I'm surprised and not at all surprised at the number of people who don't want to work on things and don't want to like hold a mirror up and, you know, do the work to, you know, face issues and face things that are keeping us back as, as humans. I, um, I think too, I wonder, like I've heard, that people, how do I say this? Um, that like not that that monogamy is like protection against being cheated on. Like, mm, if, like mm-hmm. or you know, and it's like, well, anyone can leave anyone at any point in time. 
And I, and I think like, if you're non-monogamous, then your art, like in theory, should be having mm-hmm. the conversations around feelings and jealousy, like in any relationship. Yes. But yep. even, I would think even more so in, with a non-monogamous relationship. Totally. Um, and there's like a false dichotomy of like, quote unquote, safety. Yeah. There's a very false sense of security in monogamous relationships. There are far, far more people who cheat in monogamous relationships than in non-monogamous relationships. Because in non-monogamy, part of the agreement is that you talk about it. So if I have a desire to go have sex with someone that, oh my God, I don't, I want to come up with some like example that has no sense in reality. I want to go have sex with someone that has nine inch fingernails and none of my partners want to grow their fingernails to nine inches. I get to go and find someone who has nine inch fingernails and tell my partners, I will be with this person that has nine inch fingernails (laughs) on Friday night. In monogamy, if I have a desire to have sexual relations with someone with nine inch fingernails, most of the time, I just got to then say, well, that sucks. And that's okay for some people. Some people are totally cool with that. And like, yeah, I'm going to have desires and I will think about them and I will fantasize about them in my own time. And that's great. I just want to be with one person. And for other people, it's like, no, I want to experience that. And I'm going to have other desires and other wants and I'm going to want to experience those. And so yeah, a lot of people in monogamous relationships will wind up finding that person with nine inch fingernails and just not telling their partner about it. And it's, it's very unfortunate, but that, that is the reality of many, many relationships. And again, that's not to say that there's not cheating or lying that happens in non-monogamy that it, it, it absolutely happens. Neither relationship design is protection from lying or cheating it's just you're more likely to be in a dynamic where you're going to share when the sharing isn't going to cause such a stir. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, is there, is there just like a, actually before I, I'm going to, maybe we should bring in your partners to, yeah, have, let's to continue bring them on. The, the conversation. All right. So we have Ashley and Kyle and Yair, which are Rachel's partners. And so first and foremost, welcome to all of you. Thank you. Thank you. How's that to be here? Yay. What's like one or two words to describe how how you're feeling right now in this moment? I am tired and excited for the weekend. Awesome. Nice. Kyle, how about you? Uh, I am also tired uh, and really excited to do this podcast. Mm, Nice. Yeah. I'm feeling grateful we got uh, everybody in one place. Um, with the four of us, it can sometimes be tough to uh, all be in the same room at the same time. So I appreciate you for pulling the four of us together. Yay. I'm so thrilled. That actually is a perfect um, kind of like segue into one of our the first question I got when I, I posted on social media for folks to ask questions. And someone said, what scheduling app or technique do you use to manage, quote, a whole ass polycule? <laughs> there's a there's uh, uh, we all use google uh google calendar mm-hmm. uh we all share calendars we share work calendars and private calendars uh we talk about things that are gonna go on the calendars we have meetings t- uh to schedule to put on those calendars um it's like a part-time job you know I think, well it's uh, a multi-prong approach we have we have the uh calendar system we also have shared notes that we all have access to and get notifications when the note is shared, which is part of planning to put on the calendars and also sometimes its own separate entity outside of the calendars. Um, there, you know, when there was times during dog training, there's like handwritten notes in the kitchen. So it's a, yeah, multi-pronged approach. Great. That's, it does sound like a lot of organization that has to happen. It's, you know, I, yes. And like, If you have a family with two parents and two kids, it's not like more confusing than that. I I think that a lot of people think like, oh, four adults, how can you ever? And it's like, well, like more people do this than we think. It's just we're all adults. And instead of, you know, scheduling Johnny's baseball practice and Johnny's ballet class, like we're scheduling our 
work appointments and dates and, you know, things like that. Who can take which car? Um, And like our group chat is a main place for those conversations to, you know, happen as well as like, Hey, I need a car tomorrow. We're a four person family with two cars. So that needs a lot of coordination and conversation. Um, But I think it is more jarring when you open your phone and people see the like 15 colors. Um, But like, for example, I'll see Rachel's work calendar just as like busy, 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 busy. So I know, hey, if I text her at 1230, I can check that she's like in a meeting or something. Um, Or if I see that she has back to back all day long, I'll maybe just wait to talk to her at the end of the day. So like um sharing each other's calendars as well as like a group one has been super helpful and just like I can take a quick snapshot look at like what they have going on that day I like secretly wish I had that for everyone so I wouldn't be anxious <laughs> when someone yeah. wasn't responding to me <laughs> exactly <laughs> um is it harder to be spontaneous when there's so much scheduling that has to go into um like car management or time management? No, I actually think that's similar to the, the, uh, the myth, the scheduling time for sex makes it less spontaneous. It actually makes it more spontaneous because within like creativity thrives with structure. So when you know the structure you're operating in, you can then be spontaneous within that structure. So it's like, you know, if we know that three of us have plans and are going to be out, it's like, oh, shit, I have the night to myself. Okay, I'm going to go do this thing. And like, that actually gives the ability to be spontaneous versus if we didn't know there was no structure, it's harder. It's like we're constantly then talking about like who's going where. Um, So at least for me, I, I don't find it limiting for spontaneity at all. Yeah, completely. I, I completely agree. I think that uh, being a grown up, I think, limits your spontaneity. Um, you know, you have more responsibilities and you have more things, you know, more uh, more places to be and people to speak to and things to keep up with. Because, you know, that's, I don't know, be a part of being a grown up, I guess, something like that. Um, but I think that uh, I completely agree with Rachel, that when you know the containers in which you can be spontaneous, it actually allows you to, to feel a lot more free. Um, if I didn't know what was going on and I had that spontaneous idea to go to the movies on Tuesday night, uh, and we didn't keep these common calendars, you know, I would all of a sudden run into, oh, oh, wait, I was expected to be home for dinner on Tuesday. Oh, whoops. Uh, Rachel's got, you know, three things going on. I can't, you know, I can't just book her for a spontaneous movie. I can't, you know, whatever it is. Um, but if I know the parameters on Tuesday night are, okay, Ashley's busy, Kyle's not, Rachel's not. I'll be ready at seven. Then I can go, you know what? Spur of the moment. I actually do have an opportunity to do something spur of the moment here. Um, and I think that's yeah, more that, blown up than the calendars. Yeah. Yeah. I think, actually, well, I think the, the more organization allows uh, it's really creating boundaries. And then within those boundaries, it makes it a lot easier to be spontaneous if you want to. Like uh, if, you know, one of us has a, a date plan with the other person uh, coming up this week, like we can get together with that person and say like, what do you want to do? or be spontaneous in the moment, it creates a, like a better structure for spontaneity to exist um, without adversely affecting your partners. Like, you know, like what you hear is it like not showing up for something that you were expected to be there for. I was going to say the actual, um, the hardest, the hardest part about the calendars is if you don't put something on the calendar, mm. honestly, um, because then everyone will look and see that person's free and like, ask them to do something and they're like oh i'm doing this and you're like it's not on the calendar that is our like (laughs) rule of law and that can cause more conflict um even when just like two of us want to wake up early and have coffee together for like an extra moment of connection or chatting like we'll you know just put on the calendar like rachel ashley coffee from eight to nine and then like the boys will know not to come like join us and sit down um and just like that's how we also help create space for different dyads and triads. Yeah. This actually just happened the other day. Um, We're actually very good at putting things on the calendar. Like everyone has gotten pretty good at it. Year is definitely the weak link (laughs) self-admittedly, but we're, we're getting there. Uh, But Ashley and year decided they texted on their own to have coffee 
Geyer and I were getting into bed because it was my night to sleep with him. And I was in the process of going to ask him to work out with me in the morning and to help me stretch. And before I could even get there, I got Ashley and I having coffee. And I was like, since when? And then it felt like a personal offense because it wasn't on the calendar and and like I was being rejected Mm. instead of just they're having coffee. It's on the calendar. I can ask him to work out with me the next day. Right. Like if it's if it's on there, then it's not a big deal. But when it comes as a surprise, when it when we're used to having it, it can start to feel icky. So, yeah, I totally agree. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's I just. I love putting everything on my calendar because it helps keep me focused and it helps to remind me what to do. And then just like, just to echoing what all of you said is it, it does help me like know how to spend my time and my energy. Cause I can see what I have coming up. Um, so I would love, I have a lot of questions about, I got a lot of questions about like, how did you all meet and how did you decide you wanted to be in a relationship? All four of you. Um, but the first question that I'll ask is someone who is, has been, um, following Rachel and Kyle. So don't know as much about Ashley and Yair. The question was, were Yair and Ashley Polly before they met Rachel and Kyle? So like, maybe we'll start with that and then move into how all four of you, uh, got in, uh, you know, became a family. Ash, you want to go? You want to go? Sure. Uh, in a word, Yes. Um, I was to say in a word, no. What? Ooh. <laughs> what do you mean, no? We were not polyamorous. Okay. Okay. Fair. True. True. We were non-monogamous. Yes. Okay. We were non-monogamous from day one. We were not uh, polyamorous from day one. And just to uh, clarify that differentiation, um, we were uh, uh, sexually non-monogamous and weren't um, romantically non-monogamous. Um but from but from the beginning, I guess is is uh, is the short version. We uh, we met um, we met and and uh, there was definitely a connection, and we both felt like we, there was something about being single we didn't want to give up, which was kind of the way that we both approached it, um, and kind of just flung ourselves headlong into uh, into non monogamy without a whole lot of structure beyond that. Uh, we watched the HBO like docu series or whatever you call it. Uh, Showtime. Yeah, it's awful. Right, uh, but we started. That. <laughs> What's it called? What it's it? called um, Ma- Polyamory Married While Dating, and mm. it's it was a Showtime special. It was like the first time I'd ever heard of this concept, and yeah. and if watching it back now, it is so problematic after like learning a lot. But it was really the first thing I saw that I was like, wait, this is possible. There's like adults doing this. Um, and the first like episode in season is about one couple moving in with another couple. Um, and I was just like, whoa, that is so wild. And like, didn't notice the other 100 red flags <laughs> until I was like a few years into it. And and looking back at it, it is very sex driven um, and like a lot of problems with it otherwise. But um, yeah, we watched that together and we're like, oh, like maybe you know, we can do this, like this could be our life. Um, and yeah, we had never talked about what that would be like if we were to fall in love with someone. Um, there were a lot of parameters we put in place to kind of prevent that from happening in whatever way a, you know, newbie, non-monogamous couple can do without coaching. Um you know, so like not going to like parties together or like romantic dinners and like what other random like vague thing you can try to like say, like, if you do this, you may fall in love. Mm. Not I mean, that like you're already know. having sex. We all know you can't you cannot fall in love unless you go to dinner. It's just not <laughs> possible. True. I think eye contact was a thing, too. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, we were kind of holding this line for ourselves um and hadn't really even considered it differently until we met Rachel and Kyle and I was like I really like them and it was clear there was a connection 
in a lot of different ways between a lot of us. And like, that was the first kind of nudge into like, uh oh, now I'm falling in love with these people. And like, what does that mean? So how did you figure out what it meant? Um, (laughs) um, would have caught all of us off guard and so rather than uh having or taking the opportunity to like pause and step back and figure out what it meant we all kind of just like barreled forward um like it it never it never felt if it, it all felt fast i mean here we were in the pandemic like super quickly falling in love and just having a great time and uh I think we never really did pause. I think it was like, well, this still feels good. Let's keep going. Well, this still feels good. Let's keep going. Let's, you know what I mean? Like it, it just kept feeling good. We just kept going. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't think there, you know, we talk about this a lot that like there were never, we never had a lot of so-called big turning points. Um, like when we decided to move in, it was kind of one of those th- things where like, oh, well, I guess you're here all the time. And I suppose that I guess you're living here. So why don't you live here? You know, like it, it, there were a lot of moments like that. Like, oh, are we in love? Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah, yeah. We're, you know, like there were it just sort of like a lot of this felt very organic. Um, yeah. So there weren't a lot of moments of sitting back and going like, all right, well, let's take a look and set up the pros and cons. And you know, like there wasn't a lot of figuring it out, uh, it, which is beautiful. I mean, I it, like it, to say like I wasn't really given a choice. Um, to like fall in love with these people it kind of it feels like it kind of just like happened and then I figured out what to do with that um, like if you just like I don't know break an ankle then you figure out how to deal with it when it happens I'm a broken ankle you have to compare us with injury. <laughs> I'm glad I'm yeah. as painful as an injury hey I wasn't as good as no. nine inch fingernails hey hey you win the lotto you win the lotto and then you figure out what to do with the money exactly right? you nice. nice thank you thank I appreciate you. that no broken ankles. can we cut that <laughs> <laughs> we can but it was good it was funny no, I'm gonna leave it. <laughs> like I'm just saying it wasn't something I was prepared for or that I prepared for I remember dealing with a lot of feelings of love and fear and scared and overwhelm and this is amazing it's also terrifying and like anything in between (laughs) completely I think and I think that if I had to like shape all of that into some advice for a young polyamorist is like to kind of do your best to keep the door open like if once you've decided to step into to step out of monogamy, it's kind of hard to say this is the only thing that is on the table. You can do your best. And I think that like everybody creates boundaries for themselves. And I think that that's also healthy. And like, but I think it's just really important to keep all your for reality check purposes, like the doors are open with, you know what I mean? Whether you set up a lot of these boundaries or not. And that's important to remember. And like, you'll figure that out also, you know, the part that I know a hundred percent is this is my family. Right. And like the rest of it, I'm going to set up boundaries and we're going to figure it out as we go. That's sort of how this one came up. Right. Like Ashley and I weren't shopping for a couple. We had our doors open. Like we had our doors open. Right. Like that's what happened. And like, we fell in love with them. And then I guess that was, yeah. Then now what are we doing? Well, I guess uh, proceeding with more people we love. That's cool. Yeah. Guess Um, we're moving in. Guess we're getting divorced. Guess we're having kids. (laughs) Yeah. So, okay. So this is the second time divorce has come up. Um, Rachel brought it up earlier. So can someone uh, explain to me uh, what you mean by like soon to be ex-husband divorce and like what that means in terms of all four of you? Rachel loves divorce. Bringing it up all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I've been talking. Someone else said it. Kyle, how about you? You're soon to be Uh, ex-husband. Very, very true. Um, uh, Which I'll make sure that it's, you know, I'll put it on as many records as I possibly can. It's consensual. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rachel's not doing this to me. This is something that I feel like I need to say more more often than not because people make these strange assumptions um consent to all of this um really truly what this is it's um uh, the word divorce i think has such a, such a uh you know heavy association in our culture um you know like uh growing up 
you know, I'm 35, the majority of people my age, my group, their parents got divorced. I remember when it was like everyone in my hometown, all of a sudden their parents were getting divorced, like mine were first. And so it carries like, I think, a cultural stigma um, and really negative association. Whereas what we're doing in this case with the four of us is restructuring our legal relationship design to have any semblance of the same benefits a monogamous couple has. Because the law, the way our country is designed is for a man and a woman to have two and a quarter kids and have a white picket house fence and like all the legal trappings, all the, you know, uh, the medical care, any kind of insurance stuff, any, you know, life planning is all designed around that structure. And that doesn't leave anything for people like us. Um, you know, like how do we, how do we invest in a piece of property together? What happens if one of us is in the hospital and all three of us want to visit? those questions make these types of uh, situations a little bit more difficult. And, um, you know, working with a, a legal expert in these specific kind of matters is really setting ourselves up for um, e equality and relationship design in a legal speaking manner, really, which it, it sounds, you know, odd, I think, to use that framing, but that's truly what it is. Um, it's, uh, it's, uh, really a shocking experience to look at what isn't available if you don't pl play by everyone else's rules in terms of like necessary life things like banking, uh, the ability to use similar bank accounts or uh, again, medical stuff is a huge one, especially when we're planning on having kids. Yeah. That's one of the, one of the biggest things that um, came up, I was, I was in Austin, Texas um, for a work thing. And I, got so sick overnight. I was there by myself. I got so sick overnight that the production team had to like call the hotel to bang on the door and they found me unconscious and like mm -hmm. an ambulance had to cut. It's the scariest medical thing that's ever happened to me. And I was in Texas alone and Ashley came to get me home. Had it still been more peak COVID, Ashley would have not been allowed in the room because we did not have a legal tie between us. Probably not even in the building. Not, yeah, probably not even in the building. And after that experience and also uh, along the way being called like friends and the, like just all this other stuff, um, it really stuck out to me that we needed something in writing that held up that if I was ever in the hospital again, either Ashley or Yair could come because at that point only Kyle legally could come if there were those restrictions. And it was a, it was a huge wake up call to me that, that trip um, that had those restrictions still been in place that she would have not been able to, to be by my side. Wow. So, yeah, so doozy. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm glad you're, I mean, you're okay. You're talking to us, but that's really, yeah, scary. it was, it was colitis. It was just like, she just got like violently ill, just, you nowhere. know, violently ill out of nowhere, got some antibiotics over an IV over like five days. It was fine. It was terrible, but I'm fine. Yeah, the, uh, the 6am call from a paramedic was a, that was a, a good, a good starting point for that. Yeah. <laughs> it was really scary. And, um, yeah. How many times, people said to me on that trip you're such a good friend um for coming such and i friend. when i checked into the hotel they asked if i wanted a second bed set up um and i was like what why why and they're like oh cuz uh rachel like they made an assumption that two women in a hotel room would need could not be together <laughs> like exact yeah exactly um which i you know offering something I understand probably had good intentions and uh but yeah there was just like no possibility that I could be anything other than a really good friend yeah geez uh yeah that's yeah just the, the assumptions that people make in general I wonder are there besides besides that are there other assumptions that people make about your family that it's like all about sex and like we're no, all having stop. sex 24/7. all the time. Yeah, I just got asked that again the other day. Like, <laughs> just like a random coworker, or like who? I don't know. I just made that actually, up. Actually, like, actually, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, 
Uh, I don't know if she's going to listen to this, but yes. <laughs> um, and like, she's, you know, it's like she's lovely and wonderful and we're friends, you know, and like, I think that part of his people, are, they have a hard time breaking out of the way they were thought, you know, they thought about it, like extra people on the side and they all, you know, it's like, it's very hard for some people. She's older. Maybe that's a piece of it. I don't know. Um, but yeah, like anyone outside of the two, um, of the couple is typically driven by like a sexual yeah. She's desire like, just all the time. I was like, what? Like, that's really like, we're, you know, that, that, that was really a direct question. Like what? No, no. What do you, what do you mean? Like, you think it's just like, are we just on a merry-go-round? Like, fuck fest. Yeah. Um, and it's, and it's like, you wouldn't ask a like straight, heterosexual couple that question right it's like if anyone is like outside of what we mean rachel were talking about earlier which you know we're all very familiar with like the norm of like cis straight monogamy um it's like it's like fair game just like yeah like i it's like what can you imagine going up to someone and and like oh this is my boyfriend like are you just fucking all the time (laughs) right it's ridiculous it, also, it, arguably, if I lived in a house with one other person, I would be having more sex than living with three other people. Like, arguably, because there's no one else home, there's no other logistics, there's no coordination. Like, in hypothetically, it's easier to have sex 24-7 when there's only two people in a house. We could barely get four people together for this podcast. Like, yeah, It's actually surprising <laughs> nobody says... Where do you ever find time for privacy? That's what I mean. Right. Like, right. The, no like what? Is, I don't understand how four more people means more. Se- like, I, I literally, there's no logic there. Yeah. I think well, it's I guess, people you know, projecting their fantasies onto us. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, not even fantasies. People, it's always, it's very often framed like in a negative context too. There's always the jealousy part that comes up, but you have to be jealous, don't you? Be jealous. And actually, I did realize there's one. Um, uh, there's one like cis hetero normalized uh, period of time in which people ask a couple if they're fucking nonstop and it's right after they get married for about seven days mm-hmm. and then it ends. True. And then the assumption is that now it's a sexless marriage and you hate each other due to that thing. Cause it's a quick turnaround on that whole situation. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's the nonstop sex and it's also the, but aren't you jealous thing. People just have so many assumptions. It's wild. Um, okay, so I have a, just a few more questions, and I know we, we are this time has has flown. Um, but I had someone ask, describe your experience with queerness and parenthood. Um, and so, however you want to receive that question, or we can scrap it. Well, we're not parents, right? Um... So maybe it's like what it would look like. Yeah, I think, you know, we a question that we get asked a lot now because we're starting to talk about like actual timeline of kids is like, how are you gonna who is the what are you like? And then like they make like this motion somehow like um, and, you know, there there are so many different ways to answer that. I, I think that at the end of the day, we are going to figure out what is best for each individual adult and what makes the most sense and see, you know, if everybody's parts are able to do it. Um, and then also, like, our kids will have four loving parents. And, yeah, they're going to have conversations probably at school that other kids aren't going to have. Um but so would a kid who has a, you know, two moms or so would a kid who uh, lives with their grandparents and is being raised by their grandparents or their aunt and uncle. You know, it's the more that we can push the idea that families come in all shapes and sizes and it is not just a cisgender heterosexual man and woman who have a baby like that's not even most people anymore. I mean, depending on where you live, I'm sure in many places it is, but certainly not in New York. Um, so, yeah, I, I just. I, I, I've gotten, uh, you know, um, if I'm going to answer the question, uh, I want to answer the question, I think, more broadly as far as how we've received 
um, what we've received regarding queer parent, queer parenting. Um, I can't say I've actually gotten very much. I haven't heard very much at all about like sexual orientation and parenting um, from my circle. Um, and I know that part of that is being, is the, the, the privilege of being a, I don't know, an, an otherwise uh, straight white, you know, New York, liberal New Yorker, like that's my circle. Um, but as far as the, the, the poly and parenting thing, I think we, I do get a lot of questions about that. You know, there is some, well, what happens when you have kids and there's some, um, well, what's going to happen at the parent teacher conferences and the, you know, who, how is that going to work with scheduling and who's going to, who are they going to call dad? Like, as if that's, there's only one word, you know, it's like the, a, a lot of those kinds of questions. And I think that um, none of them are really about the question. Nobody really cares what the kids are going to call us, right? They're, they're sort of uh, projecting their own anxiety about what that might look like. Sometimes it's, sometimes it's not even as bad as disapproval, just projected anxiety. Um but I get a lot of that. I don't get a lot of direct disapproval. You know, we see that in YouTube comments, you know, what I, best not to read them anyways. Um, you know, my circle gives a lot of um, extra questions. Um, I, I wouldn't I would say that mostly they're not offensive. Mostly it's sort of uh, I think it's mostly inquisitive and some projected anxiety. Um, but I, I would also I think I also have to say my circle has been very um, supportive, um, and 95% of what I've received has been, uh, with love and empathy, um, even if it is sometimes projecting anxiety. Yeah, I was going to say, um, I am preparing myself for lots of confused faces on strangers. Um, recently I was at a OBGYN appointment and Rachel came with me and we had, I was talking about birth control and the doctor like looked at me and looked at Rachel and was like, why are you on birth control? Um, And I was like, why is she asking me that? And I like had to take a second and be like, oh, I've been saying I love you and we're partners. She's assumed that we are a monogamous couple. So like, why on earth would I ever be on birth control? Um. And that took took a second for me to be like, oh, okay, I see where she's, what she's looking at and what she's assuming, which felt awful from a doctor. Um, but I think I am certainly expecting a lot of confusion, like people trying to figure out who's who's baby, and <laughs> and so, like, who's the, who the dad is. And like, I'm so not excited for the questions. Like, oh, is that one yours? Ugh. Like, mm-hmm. like, oh, I'm like so ready to smack those around. <laughs> yeah, I'm already ready to be like, they are all all of ours. Figure it out in your head. Like, oh, is that Kyle's kid? Like, oh my god, you know, uh, like I, I'm just gonna make up some weird thing to respond to, and people <laughs> ask well, that's me the that. Like, yeah, let me tell you, like, yeah, let me tell you about the I'll, weird process you know, we did. I'll be like, actually, it's mine and Ashley's. Bye, and then see, <laughs> yeah. just let them like Think figure about that, that out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I think the thing that. So I haven't received a lot of, um, like, you know, overt concern or weird questions around kid stuff very much. Um, I also have a very, like, a very much smaller, like, family circle than uh, than the rest. So, like, it, it, less questions. The thing that I have received um, that I find interesting is that I've already been labeled the strict parent <laughs> by the three of my partners. Mm. So I don't know what sort of future and what that's going to mean when we have kids around, but apparently I'm, uh, I'm already. I ha- wait, I haven't said the strict wait. parent. I've said the cautious parent. Fair enough. Rachel I definitely haven't parent. said the strict parent. Yeah, apparently I'm the strict parent who sends our kids to school sick. <laughs> that's true. Ashley and I will let them stay home, and Yair will be like, "Do you have a fever? No. Are you vomiting? No. Off to school you go." And Rachel is like, Rachel and I are like, "Feel your feelings. Where is it in your body?" Yes. Yeah, stay in bed. You have a stomachache. It could be anxiety. Let's talk about it. <laughs> I worked in a restaurant seven days a week, and I was sick all of them. I yeah oh, that one yeah 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 Yair, right. Yair is like the modern version of like in my day I hiked two and a half miles <laughs> in, in the snow with boots to get to school. We can drive yeah. you, you sport. No, he wouldn't say that. He's much more you'd, kinder than that. Yeah, you'd think that'd come from me. Yeah. The strict, the strict parent. 
or so, or so we shall see. Yeah, um, I think I think we'll all have our different areas of being a bit more um, loosey goosey and a bit more implementy. What I do, what I will say is that because of because of our non monogamy, we are very skilled in coming up with agreements and having to meet in the middle and like talking through each person's kind of comfort zone and then seeing where that Venn diagram overlaps between the four of us. And so I do think that that skill will translate very well into deciding things around parenting you know, of like, okay, I get years in this circle, Kyle's in this circle, Ashley's in this circle, I'm in this circle, where do they actually overlap a little bit? And then maybe we can go like, start with that as the starting point. And of course, every child's different and blah, blah, blah. But I, I do think that that skill will translate very well. That's great. Yeah, Setting I the think foundation. Like, yeah. And it's like, to me, that's where it all comes down to is like values. Um, and how do, how do our values overlap? And how do we prioritize what we value value you know um i love that we're all different humans but we have a lot of the same values which is part of what keeps us together yeah for sure um okay i don't want to do this but i i do have one just one last question um which yeah here you already answered which was like advice to um like younger poly folks folks newer to polyamory or non-monogamy um, and so you said like, you know, just like leave the door open and see what, you know, what there is to be, but, um, Kyle or Rachel or Ashley, do you have advice for folks? Yeah, I can go. Uh, I would say it, I would piggyback on what Yair said about, uh, like leaving doors open. I would also really encourage people to be curious. Um, you know, life is multifaceted. There's, you know, a, a thousand flavors of everything. There's so much to explore in life. And I think that one of the, the really special things about non-monogamy with the option of polyamory is you have access, you you have the ability to go explore these different things and try new things and try things that are scary or exciting or both, which, you know, most. Um, uh, and to not, to allow in that uncomfortability and that trying new stuff to really, um, take the time to confront societal societal predispositions or programming around what you and in air quotes here should or shouldn't be doing um, with the people, with the other relationship designs, all that kind of stuff. Um, Because one of the first things that, you know, in my experience uh, that I confronted uh, when Rachel and I began this journey is um, a journey of being ourselves. It's kind of fun to say um, is exactly that confronting a lot of societal predispositions, um, things that, you know, I learned from every Disney movie growing up, all that kind of stuff. It's uh, it's really deep seated in a weird way. And um, being aware that it's going to happen and kind of letting it just happen as you keep exploring, I think is the advice that I have. Beautiful. My advice would be to learn how to identify and name your emotions. If you cannot do that, pick up a book, start reading. Um, this takes a high level of communication and, and self-reflection and all of anything in between. Um, so having the tools to explain how you're feeling is like a really helpful thing. Nice. I like that. Mine would be, and I know that this may sound, uh, this is not a (laughs) self-promotion at all. Get a, get a therapist. Um, I don't care if it's me. I don't care if it's like, I don't care who it is. Get a therapist. Um, the things that come up, I had traumas in my childhood that I would have never in a million years classified as traumas until they came up and were paralyzing. And that is not the fault of non-monogamy. It's non-monogamy giving me the opportunity to heal something that happened in my past. Um, get a therapist. <laughs> and, and you know, to, to Ashley's point, like a therapist that works in some sort of um, emotionally focused way and not a cognitive one is really, really important in, in this. So yeah, I, I agree with Ash and also get a therapist. Um, and I know that you said that I, I technically answered earlier, 
but I do I did just want to get in there. Please. Uh, um keep talking and have the hard conversations. Um um we I think it's really easy to try to protect each other and to say this is going to be too hard to hear or this conversation is going to be too difficult and um it is always 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 better to keep having those conversations and to keep talking and to, uh, to go back to Ashley's point um you cannot get good at talking about your emotions without practice uh keep practicing keep talking keep talking about how you're feeling how this experience is working for you how like just keep doing that what you liked about it what you didn't like about it um it like she said it takes a lot of communication um so just keep talking just keep talking what uh what a way to end the podcast right (laughs) i love that um i wish that we had way more time to keep talking uh because this has been so enlightening and amazing to get to be in space with all of you thank you all for sharing for being here for aligning your calendars for this to happen. <laughs> I'm very grateful um, and just just appreciative. And I know our listeners will be as well. And as I thank close you. every episode, thank you for coming out and however you want to interpret that. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you, Dan. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> thank you for coming out.